We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. All right, happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. Hey, you remembered from when Bethany taught you. Good job, good job. All right, so the one day a year I wear a tie, right? But Anthony and I weren't planning on matching so well. I'm digging the bow tie, though. I'm going to go with that next year. It looks nice. So uh, if you haven't met me yet or it's your first time gathering, Anthony and myself, my name's Chris. We get the joy, the privilege of being able to serve this community together as pastors, as elders here. Uh, We are Missio Day in Phoenix. We have two other congregations in Tempe and Mesa. And Missio Dei is Latin for the mission of God, which we believe that because Jesus conquering sin and the grave and rising to new life and empowering us with his spirit to walk in the newness of that life with him, that we get invited into the mission of God. And what is God's mission? It is to restore all things, to restore all things in heaven and on earth to himself, to bring wholeness to it again, because we live in a broken world. And so I am so thankful and grateful for the good news of Resurrection Sunday, of Easter morning, that that tomb was empty. We have been going through uh, the book of Acts this year, but we took a break during the season of Lent. So the season of 40 days leading up to Easter, where we actually went through the letters to the seven churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Yeah, so if you missed out on that, man, you missed out on Revelation. It was fun stuff. Uh, but I think it was appropriate to go through kind of the, as we went through the wilderness experience of Lent, recognizing the brokenness of our own selves and the brokenness of the world and longing for it to be made right, that we, we looked at those letters where Jesus was coming to the church and saying, hey, encouragement for those who were uh, weak, those who were wondering how they were going to press on, but also challenges to those who felt like they just, they were fine. They had it all together. They were doing it in their own strength. And I think we needed to hear both the encouragement and the challenge for us. But now as we get to Easter morning, we're jumping back into the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter four. If you want to turn your Bibles on, that's your phone, probably. Uh, or if you have the old school pages, if you remember what those are, then you could flip to Acts chapter four. Uh, and what we're doing is we're picking up on the story where we left off before Uh, Acts is actually part of a two-volume work. And so the Gospel of Luke, there's four gospel accounts, the story of Jesus' birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And uh, the one Luke is also has a second part to it called the book of Acts. And so in the book of Acts, what he does is he continues to tell the story of what happened after Jesus rose and after he went to go be with the Father in his kingdom in heaven again and on his throne. And what happens to these people who are following him? These people who pretty much gave up their whole lives, changed their whole lives upside down to follow this guy, Jesus, because they believed he truly was who he said he was, the son of God. God himself come down in the flesh to be with humanity. And then he dies and they're wondering what in the world just happened. But then miraculously, 500 different people see him alive again. And the the tomb itself is empty. He's not just the spirit floating around, but they could actually feel the holes in his hands, the scars where he was nailed to that cross. 
And then he goes, all right, I'm going to peace out for a little bit longer. <laughs> all right, I'm, I'm going to go and be with the Father, but I will be back. I'm preparing a place for you. I'm preparing a home where God and humans can dwell together forever, eternally, with no more sickness, no more pain, no more death, no more division amongst people, but a perfect home. And until then, I'm not leaving you alone. Jesus promised the Father's going to send his Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit who Jesus came to this earth by, the same Spirit Jesus performed miracles by, the same Spirit Jesus, uh, in his strength and power, went to the cross to his death by, and the same Spirit who then rose Jesus from the grave on the third day. He said, I'm sending that Spirit to fill you, to empower you, so that you can continue to live in this mission this mission of bringing good news to the world, inviting other people in to the kingdom of God. And so that's what Acts is about, is we're seeing these continuing works of Jesus' spirit partnering with everyday normal people like you and I. So turn with me to Acts 4. The context of what has happened up to this point is the Spirit came over these people, and they went out, and they just started telling as many people as they could about Jesus. And thousands of people started to believe. Thousands of people started to come and join this community, and this community radically uh, was transformed. They, they looked so countercultural to the rest of the world around them. They shared everything they had with one another. They cared for one another. They ate together. They served others, even outside of their community. And then one day, two of them, Peter and John, were going to the temple to go pray, and they met a man who couldn't walk. And he was sitting outside the temple, and he was begging for money. He was begging for some help. And they said, hey, look, man, we don't have any money on us, but I'm going to do you one better. We have something better for you. In the name of Jesus, the King, the Messiah, the Rescuer, get up and walk. And miraculously, this guy gets up and he walks. And everybody sees it and they're freaking out because they saw this man for years sitting outside the temple begging for money and they knew he couldn't walk. So now there's another crowd forming and they start telling them about Jesus and lots of people are coming to know Jesus. But then there's the religious leaders. There's the, the officials over the temple. The same people who stirred up the crowd to chant, murder Jesus. They don't like it. They don't like what they're seeing, right? So they come up and they start questioning them. I'm just going to pick up in verse 8 here. After verse 7, where they said, what power or in what name have you done this? Verse 8, then Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today about a good deed done to a disabled man by what means he was healed, then let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified and whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing here before you healthy. This Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. This is God's word. Father, I ask that you would speak through me, 
uh, guard my mouth from anything that is not of you. Lord, that you would open all of our ears and our hearts and our eyes to experience your good news. That your Holy Spirit, who empowered Peter in the early church that we just read about, would be here in this room filling us. That we too would be transformed and look more and more like your perfect son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. All right, we're gonna try to uh, make this short today. I know some of you only came because you wanna see some baptisms later. You wanna see people get dunked, right? Get splashed. So who's this dude talking for so long? We'll try to make it quick. Plus the reason we're gonna make it quick is because it's been a long week for me. A really long week, all right? Um, First, I, I bought a used truck on Monday and then it broke down on me on Tuesday. So that was really fun. Um, I took it to a mechanic too, had it checked out. Everything looked great. He was like, yeah, this is a fantastic truck. Uh, the next morning I had to drive to Mesa for a meeting and I, got, I was getting off the freeway in Mesa. I was two miles from where I was getting and it just stalled and died on me. So $1,000 later and a few days later, I have a truck again, so that's nice. Uh, so on Friday, I finally got the truck back. Friday, I also got a call from a realtor. So Thursday, we got a key to a new house that we're moving into. And it's just in time because we had sold our other house and we were starting to freak out that we weren't going to have a place to move all of our stuff into uh, or that we'd have to put on storage and stay at like an in-laws and then have to move a second time. And so after a few offers that we made that we got outbid on by cash buyers, we finally got a home. So Thursday morning, I did a final walkthrough, got the key from the realtor. Then we went and we signed papers that afternoon. And so Thursday night, we went with some friends, had some pizza, a little bottle of Martinelli's that the title company gave us and celebrated. And my wife threw up some paint samples up on the wall. So here's, a, here's this gray, here's this blue. What do we think, right? So painted it on the wall. You guys done that before? Just to see how it's going to look, right? Friday morning, my realtor calls me and he goes, hey, I just want to let you know that now today it is official. It's your home. And I was like, oh, so I probably shouldn't tell you that we already painted yesterday. And he was like, la, 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 la. I didn't hear that. <laughs> I'm never giving, if we ever do a house deal together again, I'm never giving you a key early again. <laughs> I was like, I didn't realize it was early, right? Uh, so we actually, it wasn't our home yet. It wasn't in our name. And when, when the papers actually got recorded that our name was on the title of that home, now it officially was ours. There's, there's a reality that sets in that when your name is on something, uh, you now have kind of authority over it, right? But it also, there's a sense of not just authority, but belonging. Like this belongs to me now. Now also, there's a name of a bank on that too. And so they also really own it, but one day we'll truly own it. Uh, but there's authority and belonging that goes with the name. And that's kind of what's happening in this story and what we see in Acts chapter four. When they come to Peter and John, the question is, whose name are you doing this by? What power and in whose name are you able to do this? Because they understood that all the more, that names carried weight and carried power. They carried authority. And there also was a sense of belonging to that name. So what happened is if you were to get like a decree from somebody, it would be stamped with their family seal and their name would be on it. 
And you would know for certain that this came from this family. If you ever have heard the story of the prodigal son, you know, there's two brothers, right? The older brother that stays and does all the work for his dad, the younger brother who runs off and just goes, I just want your stuff, dad. I don't really want to be around you, right? And he goes and he just lives crazy and spends everything. And he comes back destitute. He's got nothing left. And the dad welcomes him back. It's a story Jesus tells. Uh, and he's setting up a, a parable, an analogy of how the father welcomes us back when we run back to him, no matter where we've been. But what a beautiful thing happens in the story is when he welcomes him back, he puts a robe on him and he puts a ring on his finger. The ring in that day would have had the family crest, the family sign, so that if you dip it in wax and then press that onto an envelope, you have now sealed it with your family name. So this envelope now officially is representing what your family is saying. It comes with the authority now. So that younger son was being reinstituted with the authority that his father carried. You now carry my name. My authority goes with you, but not just my authority. You also are my son. He's welcoming back in the belonging, the identity that you are part of this family again. So they want to know, whose name are you doing this by? What right do you have, basically? And I love their response. Like, hey, are you questioning us because we did a good thing for a person in need? Like, is that really what's happening right now? And of course they were because they had seen Jesus do this for about three years. And it made them angry then too. For about three years, Jesus was going around and he was sitting with people you were not supposed to associate with. And he was touching the people who were considered unclean. You don't touch them. And he was healing them. And he was caring for them. And he was saying, you are welcome here. And they would come to him and they go, wait a second. Aren't you that dude from Nazareth? Like this little town where you come from a poor family? You're, you're the son of a carpenter? Like, we know who you are. Whose authority do you have to be doing all these things? Why did that bother them so much? Because they were consumed with their name, with their authority, with their power, with them carrying the identity of being the ones in control. And suddenly this this dude from a podunk town shows up and starts doing things that they can't do and changing things like turning their world upside down. So Jesus was a threat to their power. What do they do? They, they murder him. It's a simple solution, right? Just get him out of the way because too many people are starting to now follow after this Jesus from Nazareth of all places instead of listening to us, listening to our way of how they can get close to God again. And we still have a lot of that today, don't we? There's a lot of people's opinions on how you can get close to God. Because I think inwardly, all of us kind of feel that disconnect. We all kind of feel that we somehow have disconnected ourselves from God in a sense. And though even those of us who know Christ, we have moments of feeling that connection again, that if we're honest with ourselves, there's also lots of times where it just feels like we're in a desert and we're not drinking from the water. It feels kind of dry. 
feels like we, we don't have that connection. And so what, what happens is there's a lot of churches, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of uh, Instagram memes out there that are trying to tell you this is how you can get close to God. It used to be when I was growing up, and I don't even know if this is still the case because who watches TV anymore, but the televangelist would be like, if you just send money to this address, then God will bless you, right? This is how you get close to God. But really what they're doing is they're using your need for their power and their control for their name. Maybe it's not televangelists anymore, but there's lots of pastors who have their own private jet and get on that Instagram page, preachers and sneakers. Have you guys seen that? All right. If you're not on Instagram, don't get on Instagram just for this. It's probably better you're not on social media. But if you're on it, search for preachers and sneakers. It's pretty funny. There's like preachers wearing these sneakers on stage as they're preaching, and then they'll post the sneaker next to it and the price tag on it. It's very condemning. You'll never see me on it because I get my sneakers from Ross. But anyway, maybe, maybe one day. I don't know. I'm not saying I'm above that if I had the money. So you get a lot of that happening where it's like, you want to get close to God? Here's what you got to do. But it's being twisted and manipulated. And that was what was happening with the religious leaders of this day too. So they got rid of Jesus. He's gone now. That threat is gone. No longer a problem. Now the people will have to come back to us. Now they'll have to listen to what we say, right? And then suddenly, two fishermen show up in the temple courts and they just healed a man who couldn't walk for years? Wait a second. Now there's more. Where where is this coming from? And a whole crowd is flocking to them. This crowd's supposed to be coming over here buying the things that we have to sell them so they can go sacrifice in the temple so that we can make money. Why are they going over here? By whose authority are you doing this? What right do you have? Whose name are you representing right now? And I love that Peter doesn't just say, Jesus the Christ, which was the Greek word for Messiah, which was the Hebrew word for the ruling king who would come and rescue all the world. He doesn't just say that. He says, Jesus, the Christ of Nazareth. You know that dude that came from that little armpit of a town, right? That little area over there that no one cares about. You know the guy that came from the carpenter's family? The one who, he was poor and he had no place to lay his head? The homeless man, Jesus. That's the authority we do this by. Turning their world upside down once again. Because not only was he a man, but this Jesus was also the Christ. This Jesus is also the king over all the universe. Whose authority, whose power, what right do you have? I'm carrying the signet ring of the one who sits on the throne in heaven and rules over all of creation. That's who. Peter and John didn't do this in their own power. They didn't do it in their own might. They didn't do it because they were really holy people and they did their quiet time devotional every day and they somehow figured it out, right? They figured out how God would hear their prayers of other people's. They did it because Jesus was with them. And that even when he went to prepare a place for them, his spirit was with them. They did it because Jesus' name was over them. 
That's whose power they do it by. But they're not only making a declaration of the power that they carry with Jesus. They're making a claim that they belong to Jesus. If they carry his name with them, they belong to this Jesus. And what's beautiful about that is they're standing there telling the entire crowds that they too can belong to Jesus. When I went to high school, I was one of six kids. I went to Peoria High School and I was right there in the middle. And when I got there, there was already a reputation with my name, Preby, right? Like some people knew, oh, here comes trouble. Other people knew, don't mess with him because his bigger brother will kick your butt. Like there was a reputation attached to my name. But there's also a sense of belonging. When our boys were born, we gave them a name, right? We, we got to name their first name, but they also carry with them my same last name. If I, if I see any of your kids here, like I know that they have your last name because they are part of your family. They're saying, we do this in the name of Jesus who conquered death. We are part of his family. We share in his identity. The one who you killed, but God rose back from the grave, we follow him. And just as he passed through the grave and rose to the newness of life, we too are gonna do the same. So you can't do anything to us. Do you realize that this is the Peter who's saying this is the Peter who denied Jesus three times when he was being taken to the cross. He's the one who ran and hid and cowered. After Jesus rises, he comes to Peter and he asks him three times, almost like a reversal of what just happened. Peter, do you love me? But in Acts, what we see too, to take it even a step further, is the Peter who ran and denied Jesus three times proclaims the name of Jesus three times within those first four chapters we just read. He outright says to the crowds three times, this is the third time that we've heard it, that you killed this Jesus, but God raised him from the grave. The Peter who was afraid and scared now knows he belongs to the one who conquered all death and all sin. So he has nothing to fear anymore. I know who I belong to. I know who my father is. I know who's got control over this situation and ultimately all the world. So even though you could take me and you can kill me the same way you did to Jesus, the same way Jesus rose again, I too will rise because I go in the name of Jesus. I have an identity that is secured. And then he says this weird thing. Suddenly he throws out like a random metaphor, right? He says, this Jesus you killed, in verse 11, this Jesus is the stone rejected by you builders, which has become the cornerstone. And you go like, where does that come from? Like, what what is he talking about, right? He's actually quoting from Psalm 118, verse 22. It's a quote there. And the picture is this, a cornerstone would have been when they were building something, they didn't pour slabs of concrete like we would today, but they would lay out, a stone in the corner that was cut just right that they knew they could build the rest of the foundation off of. And so it's a metaphor that, you know, there was, there was a cornerstone that everything needed to be built on. 
And the builders were idiots and they just tossed that one aside and they put a worse material there instead. When my son was probably around seven, one of my twins, Cannon, he was building a Lego Star Wars ship. I think I might have told this story to some of you before. And he was building, he was doing a great job. I was letting him do the work all on his own because he was doing amazing. And he was getting to a certain point where then the wing just wouldn't stay. And he was getting so frustrated, like, well, how come this wing isn't staying in place? So then I came alongside him. I said, okay, let me help you out. And we went through all the instructions and I started working backwards. And what I found was at the very beginning in like one of the first steps, he left a piece out. And because that piece was missing, nothing else would stay. It was collapsing on him. And what did we have to do? We had to dismantle the whole thing, which tore him up, poor kid. It was, it was a mess, let me tell you. A mess of tears everywhere. We had to dismantle the whole thing and then rebuild with the right piece in place. Today, in uh, the spiritual sense, there's a, there's a term for that, right? Actually, it's, it's blank on me right now. Help me out, guys. What's the term for that when people are... Deconstruction, thank you. You guys, you, you thought it. I picked up on it. Thank you. Deconstruction, right? And everyone, everyone in like the kind of like fundamental, like orthodox, like, hey, we're, we're Christians and you just don't ask questions kind of camp really, really is afraid of that. And understandably, because there's been some horrible things that have come through it too. But here's the thing. When you've built it on the wrong cornerstone, when you've built it on the wrong foundation, you have to deconstruct. And a lot, of, a lot of the church in the West, in America, a lot of my upbringing has been built on something other than Jesus that looks very Jesus-like. We, we cover it up and we mask it and call it Christianity, but it's been built on something other than. And we have to deconstruct all of that stuff and get down to the foundation and go, we need something better. We need something more solid. We need a better name to stand on. We need to stand firmly on the rock that is Jesus and then build everything else back up on top of that. Deconstruction is fine as long as you reconstruct with the right foundation, right? But here's the thing. What we've been doing is trying to construct for ourselves a name. What I mean by that is we've been trying to build up our own identity, our own sense of belonging, our own control and power so we don't feel hopeless anymore. And we've been trying to build that up on something other than Jesus a lot of times. I still do it every day and I got to deconstruct every day and go back to Jesus. A lot of us are trying to find our identity in anything else. And when that doesn't work, then we try to create a whole new identity, right? And we see other people doing it a different way than we do it, and we judge them, and we go, I can't believe, like, that's ridiculous, right? But they're just, they're trying to find belonging and control. They're trying to, to create a space for themselves. They just need to be shown. They need to be shown what the cornerstone is. They need to be shown the foundation. That's what we need to see. We need to look back to Jesus every single day. 
And the same Jesus who came and he sat down with the sinners that no one else would sit with. He sat down with the tax collectors who were traitors to their own people. He sat down with the prostitutes. He sat down with the people who were considered unclean because of their diseases. He sat down and welcomed all these people, says, whatever your identity has been, you can now find a new home in my name, in my family. So Jew or Gentile, black or white, gay or straight, male or female, Democrat or Republican, all of you come to Jesus. He is a firm foundation and you will have a space in his name. All these other identities we built for ourselves need to be stripped away so that we can find our true identity in the name of Jesus. Just as my sons carry the last name Preby with them, that we carry the name of Jesus the Christ with us. The father has welcomed us into his home. The prodigals who were far off, he runs out to meet you and he embraces you and he welcomes you back in. And he gives you this ring that says, you now carry my name with you. Not just the authority of Jesus, but the identity of him. And that's really what Easter is all about. Because if Jesus just rose from the grave himself and then said, peace out, I'm going up into the clouds now. Like that's a miracle, that's cool. But no, no, what he did is he said, and now you, you are in me, you come with me. And so that's why we celebrate baptisms, which we're gonna do in a moment. Because what we do in that practice is we remember and we recognize that we were once immersed in the tomb of our own sin. That's what baptism means, immersed. We were covered in our own rebellion, our own selfishness, our own ways of trying to create a name for ourselves. And we were dead in that. But in the same way Jesus went into the tomb and rose again, when we are covered in Jesus, when we get immersed in who Jesus is, in his name, in his power, in his identity, we rise out of the waters of our sin to the newness of life. And we get to live forever with him. Whose name are you going to go out with today? Whose name do you carry into the world? You're trying to create a name for yourself or do you go in the name of Jesus, the Messiah, the rescuing king who made himself small and born out of Nazareth? That's the name I want to carry. You guys with me? Let's pray. Father, we we need this truth. Each of us who have been trying to search and find a space for ourselves, trying to create a sense of security a sense of feeling like everything's right, a sense of identity, a sense of belonging. God, we confess that we can only find that in you. We only find that in the name of your son, Jesus. And there is power in that name and there is a home in that name. And so in the name of Jesus, I pray God that your spirit would be upon this community right now and draw each of us closer to you. God, for anyone in this room who 
does not know you, who has been carrying another name besides the name of Jesus, God, I ask that you would welcome them into your home. God, for any of us in here who have been like the older brother in that prodigal son story, who have carried something that looks like your name, but really we've been doing it for ourselves this whole time. God, would you break that down? Would you deconstruct that from us that we would find the true Jesus and be planted firmly upon the cornerstone that is the name of Jesus? God, we thank you for new life. We thank you for resurrection. We thank you that death doesn't have the final say. We thank you that the Jesus who died was the Jesus who had all the power to heal. And we believe that that is still true today. So God, by the power of your spirit, may we go from this place in the newness of life in the name of Jesus, amen. There are really two things Jesus asked his people to continue to do. While he left things that uh, the church is often called sacraments, things that we do to remember, to practice, uh, to have an outward expression of what Jesus has done on a deeper level for us. It's communion and baptism. And so each week we go to the table up here and we remember Jesus's death. We remember that his body was broken for our sake. His blood was spilled out on our behalf. And we partake in that because what we're doing is we're entering into the identity of who Jesus is and we're entering into the suffering of Jesus. But today we get to, after we partake in communion, go out and celebrate the second thing, the second sacrament that the early church did, which is baptism, where we are now partaking in the newness of life, that Jesus didn't stay in the tomb, but he rose again. So I'm super excited about doing both of these things today. I want to invite each of you who have said, I need to be standing on the cornerstone of Jesus. I I want to carry the name of Jesus with me to partake in communion with us. Uh, And if you're not ready for that, that's okay too. You can stay where you are. And then I would love for all of us to gather outside afterward together to witness the beautiful sacrament of baptism together. So I'll invite you up in a moment as you come up, just take the piece of bread, dip it in the cup. You can uh, make sure it doesn't drip. Hold your other hand under it, go back to your seat. And then we'll profess the mystery of this faith that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again. 